welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? I'm feeling, uh, I'm a little bit tired from partying so hard celebrating our nation's birthday. But David, this is going up on, I don't actually know, the 12th? The 12th, yeah. Yeah. But so yeah, we are, are recording about? early yeah. because at the time we would normally record this episode, we will be at Comic-Con yeah. in San Diego, San Diego Comic-Con International 2015. Yeah. Um, uh, so we are recording on July 5th, the day after, the the boxing day to... Oh my. <laughs> 4th of July is Christmas Day. The, the, yes, I guess that's true. Before we get started, on, I know we have some stuff to talk about, right? Okay. But we did get a, a gift from a friend of ours. Oh, from a friend of ours. Oh, okay. Well, we got volume one of Dodd's Call Investigation. Oh, awesome. The Simeon Case. Ah. This, this is the comic book that we, um, that uh, sponsored us, their Kickstarter, right? And there's a little bookmark that says, thanks for taking a chance on, oh man. Yep. You see what I mean? Isn't this gorgeous? It is lovely. So people should definitely check out Dodd Skull Investigations, Volume 1, yeah. the, Simeon, the Simeon Case. Oh, I like the, um, I like the texture of the covers here. Yes, me too. We also, by the way, we got, you know how I love to read letters from our fans? Yes. And listeners. Um, we got another long rambling one from our friend Benj. <laughs> and it's funny and everything, but I won't read it on the air because he spends most of the time trashing one of our guests. Really? So, um, if uh, that's a, is it the one I would uh, naturally assume? Uh, no. <laughs> oh, interesting. Um, so if you, uh, word to the wise, if you want us to showcase your, I don't know. Yeah. Your, your, your mail. like Benj has. Yeah. Do not. Yeah. Don't, don't, uh, take swings at people who are gracious enough to take the time to appear on this show, uh, for free. Wow. So, uh, yeah, sorry, I'm Ben. Curious. We, we usually only get uh, complaints about, well, I mean, we all know Fatum, uh, <laughs> but, uh, it, you know, someone else is coming to yeah. take the mantle, uh, take up the mantle. Pardon me. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so I think we've got some bills to pay. Let's, let's pay. Yeah. Let's pay one of our bills now. All right. All right, this episode is sponsored by MUBI, a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, MUBI's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $4.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. There are a number of movies available at Mubi right now, including A Room with a View, the Merchant Ivory classic, starring a who's who of British actors, including Maggie Smith, Helena Bonham Carter, and Judi Dench. Uh, This swooning, sensual take on E.M. Forster's classic romance would go on to win three Oscars and set the gold standard for costume dramas. This movie and more are available at Mubi.com. And there is also a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com, that's M-U-B-I dot com slash Battleship to redeem now. All right. Uh, do we want to do the other one right now or do we want to wait? No, let's, well, I want to talk about how you spent your 4th of July. Indeed. Um, okay, so uh, we've talked in the past about outdoor screenings. Um, I go to them every once in a while. You've gone to them. Uh and the thing is, I, I mean, I, I come to I've come to know that like, all right, it's not going to be, it certainly is not going to be the ideal um, viewing environment. You know, you you're going to hear far off noises. You're going to hear traffic. Sometimes you're going to, you know, people are going to 
be talking a little bit like right this is my the reason for my personal rule which is to not go to an outdoor screening of a movie that i have not previously seen oh absolutely i don't want that to be my first yeah no way the first exposure um but uh but yeah so my uh my wife and i and several friends went and saw uh an outdoor screening of jaws uh yeah and by the way uh before we start recording david made reference to jaws as being the it's a wonderful life of the 4th of July uh-huh. that is so perfect. You don't even know <laughs> just because it's like Jaws has become a 4th of July movie. It's like, right. yes, it does. It does occur on 4th of July, but let's not forget. It's about a shark eating people. It's not about right. a celebration <laughs> of, if anything, it's about government, but like breaking down. And I guess yeah. uh, somebody deciding they're going to do that their own way. But you know, and, and it's a wonderful life is not about Christmas. No, you know, yeah. I mean, certainly he's, running through the town saying Merry Christmas. But at the same time, like it's not necessarily about that. It could have happened any time. Yeah. Um, um, but uh, is Jaws the 4th of July movie like by default? Like how many 4th of July movies are there? Independence really? day is the one that people go to, yeah, but that's, um, uh, but that movie's terrible. It, yeah. Just <laughs> to yeah. be clear. Yeah. Let's, that is not a good movie. Yeah. And they're making a sequel. Did you know that? I, I know. It's yeah. Coming, coming up. Um, but, a lot of people that I follow on Instagram were, uh, visited the set. <laughs> so, oh boy so i got else it's called like independence day resurgence or something like that who gives a shit <laughs> um which which is a, a phrase i've been saying a lot lately um i think maybe yeah. as i get older yeah. and and You're there's no question tired of it all kind of and i'm projecting it onto other people because when i say who gives a shit plenty of people <laughs> what i should say is i don't give a shit right um but uh, anyway so what else is there fourth of july wise I guess 1776, which they're showing at the Arrow today. Okay. Uh, I guess that sort of counts. There was a disco movie that I own the soundtrack of called Spirit of 76. Okay. In which I think like a di- something, I think like a disco dancer, like in 1976, is going to celebrate like Please Bison. Say travels back in time. I believe Please he, tra- travels, I back believe he travels back oh in time. <laughs> I'm not a hundred percent sure on that, but that had a killer soundtrack, <laughs> including my favorite disco song, which admittedly there's not a whole lot that I love, but, uh, there's one called, I think by the silvers. Okay. I think it's the silvers. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Uh, called a uh, boogie fever. And that song is so marvelous. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh. So clever. Um, I feel like the reputation, we're way off topic here, but the, the reputation of disco has been salvaged in recent years. By I think like, so. I think uh, people a lot recognize- of people like, and like, but like that Daft Punk album from uh, Random Access Memories from two summers ago was essentially a disco album and they got Giorgio Moroder to like produce some tracks. It's, and it's unlike Daft Punk's previous stuff, which is all electronic. Okay. Random Access Memories is all live instruments. Uh, doing dance music. Well, and I think what happens is anytime, uh, like a genre of music is associated with a very specific time. I think people will look at that and say, Oh, look what in the same way that like fashion, it's like, Oh, look, uh, look at the way we dressed. Uh, how, isn't that right. ridiculous? That, that was inherently bad. But then when it's music, I think it winds up just being another genre where it's like, Oh, there's good and bad. You know, yeah. Um, I think you get some perspective on that. But anyway, so we saw Jaws. Okay, I and, have and more I, thoughts on disco, but this I, is not the I mean, As do I, don't we all? <laughs> um, but uh, and we saw an outdoor screening, and I didn't. I've seen Jaws. I'm comfortable saying about sixty times now, but it's, it might be more. hundreds of times, maybe hundreds of times. That's uh, that's a Seinfeld reference. 
Hundreds. Of, well, I was wondering because you you did a, uh, yeah. a hand motion. It's, uh, what's the uh, Jack? Uh, the guy who lives in the same complex as Jerry's dad. Oh shoot! Yeah, Jack something, and now I don't remember. And Jerry buys his dad a. Is it a BMW or is it a Mercedes? I think it's a Mercedes. I think it's a Mercedes. And he says, "I've ridden in a Mercedes hundreds of times." Yes, and that right. ends with them going. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that guy's a real real scumbag. Yeah. Um, so okay, back to business. I'm too tired to go off on tangents because we're recording this early for me. Yeah. Um, the uh, so you know I, I was okay with acknowledging they're like okay this this is not going to be the ideal screening environment. But then when we got there, uh-huh. I saw a lot of Jaws shirts, and I thought maybe Jaws is different than a lot of the movies that I've seen. Like Jaws has Jaws is a movie that has inspired people to make movies, inspired people to like become film critics. Like it's, it's uh-huh. one of those as opposed to, you know, I went and saw say anything last, last year and that one, there are a lot of chatters and you know, stuff like that. And say anything is a movie that I don't necessarily love. And I know some people do, but not to this extent. Okay. And so I thought like, okay, maybe this audience is going to be pretty good. And I will say they were okay. Pretty much everybody was, but except okay. one woman right behind me uh-huh. who I'm going to assume was drunk. Otherwise we might've shushed her. Um, and it's one of those. And again, like it's what she was saying. She was engaging in a way she was engaging with what was on screen. Let's She's not get like some just, examples. Okay. Standard in, in two, in 2015 or I'd say in the last 10 years, when you see the mayor smoking in the hospital, someone is going to say, someone's going to comment on it. Okay. All right. And she said, she's like, she's like, he's smoking in the hospital. All right. So that's one. <laughs> okay. Okay. And then, um, I'm fine with this so far. And then some of it was, uh, and some of it is the the laugh of recognition, but I think because she was drunk, the laugh was really loud and obnoxious. Okay. Um, my go to for that is Max Katie. It's not quite yeah. not quite that, not quite as <laughs> aggressive as, uh, right. as that. Um, but uh, but I I think what what put me over and, and she said a couple other things. Now I can't remember what they were, but the the thing that put me over was, um, you know, Brody is chumming. Um, and uh, we all know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And as he's saying, you heard him slow ahead. Slow ahead. I can go slow ahead. Coming down here and chum some of this shit. Shark appears. Mm-hmm. Okay. So as he's saying his line, mm-hmm. this woman says, wait for it. <laughs> now, what's interesting is the wait for it. She wasn't talking about the shark. She was talking about the line. You're, you're going to need a bigger boat. Which, by the way, was uh, which got applause. Right. Okay. Under, that's understandable. But like, there's something about someone saying, "Wait for a well, second. How do you know she was talking with the line, not the shark? Be- oh, because of her reaction to the line as well. Because I feel like if she's saying "Wait for it," then she will have an like. If the shark shows up, I feel like she would have done what she did after the line, which was "Woo." Um, okay. But I might be wrong. Yeah. But even so, if you if you. I just feel like if she's 
if she's savvy enough to know the line's coming up, and then she knows she's going to have a nice long space between yeah, the sharks showing up. Yeah, that's you say, wait for it. It's exactly. after the shark goes back exactly. in the water. To the extent that, like, when she said, wait for it, I was like, she's talking about the shark head? And then, and then, like, it happened. No response from her or anybody else. Mm, and then nice the line comes pause. up. Yeah, nice long pause. Sinking in for Brody with, that they're in bad shape. And uh, then he says the line. And then everybody cheers including her and that's when but her saying wait for it and that's the thing is just like if everybody was a little bit chatty i get it uh-huh she's the only one and she announces loudly she this isn't for her friends this isn't for herself i mean it is theoretically but it's for everybody wait for it uh-huh. and it's one of those things and i feel i i had to remove myself uh I've seen Jaws a million times. You like know. Literally, you had to get up and walk away. Yes. Um, and because and part of it, part of it was like getting perspective on the experience. Yeah, this is the thing. Know. I'm going to say, I know you and I see eye to eye on a lot of this kind of stuff, but I'm not on your side on this one, I don't think. I think chatter in an outdoor screening is, that's, that's what's going to happen because it's not, it's, it, it's not an, uh, it's not a screening first. It's an outdoor event first i guess then it's a screening i guess that you know what when i think about it uh this is this is because there's a couple companies that do these things and this one was street food cinema and it's like well i guess that is uh, the order that we're looking at here street (laughs) food and then cinema i guess if you're thinking about it um yeah so there is that so like i'm and that's if it was just general chatter and everyone was doing it i'd be more okay with it but like clearly people came to watch the movie and I just felt like if anything, if nothing else, I feel like she should have done a better job reading the room. Um, but it's not a room, but I see right. Yeah. Reading the crowd. Um, and so I, uh, yes, I removed myself and I went, uh, and walked across the street, sat in a, in a dark, uh, play, a darkened playground and listened to the sounds of jaws on to my left and the sounds of crickets to my right. It was actually very relaxing. Um, and, uh, then I calmed down a little bit, but, uh, yeah. And it's just like, I don't want to be your curmud- uh, uh, I know that I am. I'm bothered when my neighbors are having fun. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> if it'll interfere with something that I want to do, like uh-huh. there were a couple of 20 somethings, like making loud screaming noises, uh, right outside when Dave and I were about to record. And so it's like, well, now I now we're not going to get a clean record. Like you that say was loud my... screaming noises, like they were just running up and down the alley, like shouting. They were having fun. They were the sounds of fun. If you're a grown person and you're screaming at all, then I feel like you might as well be running up and down screaming like a five year old. Grow up. Moving on. I'm not with you on that. Also, you and I are not seeing eye to they, eye today. Also, they have to know. It's the day. I know it's a Sunday. But it is the day after a big party day. Uh-huh. They might be disturbing some people. I don't think they're... They're just having... It didn't... I, what were you going to say? You don't think they're thinking of that? They're not thinking of other people? I agree. <laughs> okay. I agree with you. You are, you really are a curmudgeon. Yeah. <laughs> I just... You know what? Basically, here's what I want. Let's all just be quiet. All right? <laughs> like, I go to, like, I go to Disneyland, and, like, if there's somebody... Like, we're all talking. It's loud. It's a loud place. Uh-huh. Everyone is talking. But if I... But every once in a while, you'll get, like, one group. They're not talking. They're yelling. Uh-huh. Just to each other. Not across a crowd. Just 
they're basically in the same proximity as you yeah. and me and they're yelling and it's like okay now i'm hearing you yeah over everything else you know what of all the things you said that one actually would bother me okay but still I, I i'm not i can't be on your side the only thing that bothers me and i've talked about it before about outdoor screenings mm-hmm. and i know this is just me and this is just what the culture is now but I don't think chairs should be allowed at outdoor screenings. I think it should be a picnic atmosphere. People bring blankets. You sit on the blanket. Um, either that or they should have screens that are way, way higher than what they have. Hmm. If you're going to have a chair environment, like I went to watch fireworks last night. People bring chairs to that. Mm-hmm. Who cares? Because the fireworks yeah. are way, way up in the sky. Yeah. Right? It's not bothering anyone. No one's blocking. You're saying they should start projecting these things on clouds like uh, the bat signal. <laughs> Maybe that's that's the answer, but I really I really am bothered by uh, people bringing chairs to outdoor screenings. No, I actually do bring a chair. And, but it's and, one of those like, sort of like it's like a, a four lot of inches off the ground. Do, a lot of my friends do, and this is just this is what I say. This is just me. I have in my mind an yeah. idea of what outdoor screenings are about, and they're not about that for other people. To me, if you're sitting in a chair, you might as well be at home. The idea is that we're having this picnic and we're watching a movie. It's interesting. I feel like you have a much more specific idea of what this needs to be than I do. It's yeah. you're saying you're saying it can't be about the movie. It's not it about the movie. First. It's not about that first. It's about an outdoor environment. Hang on. It's about a very specific outdoor environment. It's a nighttime picnic. It's a nighttime picnic. Yeah. That's what it needs to be. That's exactly what I think of outdoor screenings as. And I feel like if everyone would just get on board, We'd all have a hell of a time. If everyone just... Okay, you and I will be very happy if the world just shuts up and sits on the ground. (laughs) (laughs) All right. um, Before we move on, I wanted to go back to one thing you said, which is a lot of people wearing Jaws t-shirts. And you today are wearing your Amity Island t-shirt. Amity Island Police, right? Is that what it is? Uh, Amity uh, Amity Amity Police. Police. Yeah. Amity Island, New England, yes. Um, And you said you wished you had worn that yesterday. Yeah, when 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 I... It didn't even occur to me. And when I saw so many people with like Jaws shirts and I thought, oh, that, you know what? It's, it's actually like in the same way that I feel like I should wear a Riddler shirt when I go to Comic-Con. It's, it's a solidarity thing. And I felt bummed. I felt bummed that I didn't think to wear it. I'm all for wearing a Riddler shirt at, at Comic-Con. But this is a question for you and for the listeners. I want them to comment on the website uh, about this. Is wearing a Jaws shirt to an outdoor screening of Jaws the same sort of tacky faux pas as wearing the t-shirt of the band you're going to see. Okay. Cause I'm, I, I, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm too old to judge anyone for wearing the t-shirt of the band. They're going to see I don't do it. I, I think you'll still find a way. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Out loud. Okay. There we go. At this point, I am life, older and wiser and mature enough away, David. to, <laughs> to keep my judgment to myself when I see someone wearing the shirt of the band they're there to see. Yeah. But I do think it's tacky. And you know, if I actually owned a shirt with the shark on it, like the the official Jaws image, I probably wouldn't. First off, I don't think I would own the shirt anyway. Uh Um, But I I don't think I would have worn that. But because this is the Amity Police shirt, it's like a little bit covert. Okay. Okay. But it's it's amongst people that would get it. Yeah. And would appreciate it, I think. You're getting a lot of nods. A lot of, oh, yeah, I know what that is. (laughs) Um, Um, Anyway, I want to get the listener's uh, point of view on wearing wearing the shirt of the movie you're going to see. Yeah, that's a good question. Listeners, I I want that feedback as well. All right, let's uh, pay some more bills, right? Absolutely. All right, David, it's a fact 
emojis are taking over. They're here to stay. They're here to stay. And now emojis have their own tabletop board game. Emoji Cards is a simple team-based card game that combines the best elements of Pictionary, Charades, and Cards Against Humanity. Players use cards featuring a set of 250 custom-created emoji images to try and get their teammates to guess clues from the clue card. Clues feature a variety of topics from TV and movies to food, sports, music, historical figures and events, geography, and more. Emoji Cards was created by Warren Chow and friends of the show, Sam Greenspan and Matt Warren. They just launched a Kickstarter for pre-orders and to help fund the initial print uh, print run of the game, and even roped in Battleship Pretension musicologist West Anthony to help with voiceover for the Kickstarter video, and of course, uh, his level of enthusiasm and, and old-timey delivery uh, made me uh, made me actually uh, contribute some money to them. Uh, anyway, go West. So, if you want to see Sam and Matt on camera, looking awkward and begging for money, just click on the ad at battleshippretension.com for more info. They've got an ambitious $20,000 goal that ends uh, this month, so head on over, buy a copy of the game, and show them your support. And uh, obviously, I've you know they are a sponsor, but as I just said, I have contributed because I think the game looks like a whole lot of fun. Uh, you know what else is a whole lot of fun? What's that? Hearing the music or podcast that you're listening to in the best, po- best possible way. And the way you do that is you use tweaked audio earbuds. They're tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. Mm-hmm. And if you go to uh, tweakedaudio.com slash pretension, you get all that same stuff, high quality, looking really sharp earbuds mm-hmm. for one third off. Tweakedaudio.com slash pretension. Let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. Now, we mentioned that we are at Comic-Con right now. Yeah. When, well, I guess by the time you're hearing this, we are home from Comic-Con. Yes, and I will have been home for a while because I, uh, oh, I, yeah, I will have left early. You're, uh, you're skinning out, skinning yeah. out early. Um, Is that what? <laughs> the hell are you talking about? That's a saying. It's an old time saying. They say it in Young Guns 2, like a lot. <laughs> and I, as someone who watched Young Guns 2 constantly when I was a kid, because I wasn't allowed to watch Young Guns because it was rated R. Young Guns 2 is PG-13. Young Guns 2 is PG-13, so I watched that one. uh, You know what? Now that I think about it, when it came out, amongst people my age, uh everyone was talking about Young Guns 2. It was almost like Street Fighter 2. Like no one ever, no one I knew saw Young Guns, and no uh-huh. one I knew ever even remembered that there was a game called Street Fighter. But then Street Fighter Two comes along, and Young Guns Two comes along, and everyone's like, "Oh, did you see Young Guns 2? And now, and I don't think it ever even occurred to me ever. Sorry, until now, that's the difference. One was rated R, and they couldn't see it. One was PG thirteen, and they could. So that must be it. Oh. Yeah, I know Young Guns Two like the back of my hand. By the way, I've seen it so many it's times. Your, it's your jaws. <laughs> yeah, um, everyone forgets that Bradley Whitford is in young guns too. Uh, we talked, I forgot. We talked just last week mm-hmm. about framing devices. Yes, that's right. And, uh, now, you know, the, the theory, I don't know when was the last time is that you saw young guns too, but the conspiracy uh, theory, possibly that it, never. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, uh, Pat Garrett shot and killed Billy the kid. That's yes. That's history, mm-hmm. right? The theory that young guns too uh, presupposes is maybe he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he essentially claimed that he did and allowed his friend Billy the Kid to live and go off. Hmm. So 
the movie Young Guns 2 starts in the early 20th century with Bradley Whitford as like a reporter driving out to the desert to interview this old man who okay. claims to be Billy the Kid, and it is Emilio Estevez in terrible old man makeup. Oh, oh my gosh. I, yeah. We got to watch. I think we have another, our next commentary. Oh. Just watch Young Guns 2 four times in a row. <laughs> Oh, and man. I would have to watch okay. it four times beforehand uh, so that I could feel familiar with it enough. I I don't know. It doesn't have to be Young Guns 2, but the idea of doing one of our marathons, oh, the, I, the I, same movie I four times I tell you how know, excited I am at the, no, in the, at the notion of that. That would be awesome. <laughs> All right. Because it would be different guests every time. Yes, so there's exactly. So it's a different commentary, and you, will, you and I will have gone completely insane by the end. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we got to do that. That's the issue is we need to have plenty of thoughts about it. Like enough to sp- like we could have done that with alien. Uh-huh. I could have watched alien four times in a row and, and find and found different things right. to say about and it. I'm telling you, I could do it with young guns too. We're not doing young guns too, <laughs> but I love this idea. Like the minute you said it as a joke, I was like, I know he's joking, but I think he's onto something. Yeah. Listeners. If this sounds interesting to you at all, if it sounds a quarter is interesting to you as it does to us. <laughs> Let us know. Then, then, then you must love it. It's you must love success. the idea. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Where were we now? What were we talking about? You were talking about Young Guns too. How did Bra- we Bradley even ever get to? Oh, because I said skin it out. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, I guess I never saw Young Guns too because I obviously would have remembered that. Um, uh, right. Okay. So back to we're in comic. So we wanted to keep uh, the next next week will be our Comic Con wrap up. We wanted to keep. Somewhere it's generally in the same milieu, yeah. Topic wise, so we're going to talk about something that uh, is actually inspired by uh, the comment section on the website, mm-hmm. which is uh, a place you should totally go and comment on our episodes and yeah. our reviews. It, could, it's a lot of it fun. could inspire an episode, which would be very helpful for us, by the way. Yeah, um, I talked, uh, and there has been re- more development since then. But when we had uh, Mariah on. Mm-hmm. By the way, thank you, Mariah. We didn't yeah. say thank you last week. Yeah. Thank you to right. Mariah E. Gates. It was uh, a fun episode. It was a lot of fun, and we had a, a lot of great feedback uh, for that episode. Um, so that was very uh, heartwarming. But uh, on, <laughs> in the episode, in the comments, uh, someone took issue with my taking issue with Ava DuVernay signing on to do a Marvel movie. Which I think she's not on anymore. That's what I, that's, okay. I was going to say. There have been more developments. Yeah. Um, but I... I I uh, am not excited when when the director that I like this is me and this is the just me being a cynic when a director that I like signs on to a franchise I don't think what I think a lot of people think oh I wonder what this cool person could bring to this big budget franchise thing a lot of people are going to see and all mm-hmm. that stuff I think uh I wonder how much of herself she's going to lose you know, in making this you movie, mean how much is going to in this particular it, film in this particular film, I think, okay. but as we'll talk about today, possibly in the long run, Peter Jackson, um, <laughs> the, uh, and someone took issue with that. Uh, their argument being that when a director who's used to smaller budgets, or smaller audiences gets a big franchise mm-hmm. or a big budget movie and does well with it financially. Yeah they then have the freedom to make more stuff. And this is the, I guess the Christopher Nolan argument who yeah. has, it's, it's the one that I feel it's about the one that I cling to. Like at this right. point I am, I am cynical enough to know that, especially like in the terms of Marvel, like they're going to sand all the edges off. Right. You're lucky if you get 
any real like any spark of personality i think that's what people responded to with guardians of the galaxy even though i didn't like it that much you're lucky if you get any of that um well and there are directors who you know i think um i think joss whedon also was able to yes but he's not an indie an indie director right as much as i love joss whedon he's right he's a he's a product of the system in a lot of ways oh. i guess that's true yeah or or maybe i mean we could do a whole episode about joss whedon i feel like he's threaded the needle i guess because he's been working he's never really been uh, an indie filmmaker except he made much ado about nothing after right uh being an established I wrote that down in my notes but he came up in episode episode network episodic television yeah. uh you know writing for roseanne and other stuff and then was a guy who did script doctoring and stuff for major things and has somehow wrote the fourth film in a very successful franchise <laughs> yeah and um despite following all the sort of prescribed steps he's maintained a lot of himself and i think yeah. that's that's a whole other topic that's not really what we're talking about today but yeah. it is actually sort of commendable i think well, however you feel about him it's, it's kind of commendable it's astounding because an auteur within the system like Kevin Feige or whatever. And I, I'm sorry to just keep going back to Marvel. We'll be talking about other things, but at the moment, um, I think Kevin, Joss Whedon is one of those guys that like, when they picked him for the Avengers, you can tell that they probably said, well, we want that Joss Whedon feel like they picked him because of who he is. And they, right. and I think they specifically wouldn't want him to take any of that out of it any of himself out of it. Whereas right. I think other directors like, it's like, well, they, they seem capable of, of doing action. And so, you know, we'll just fit them into what we've been doing. Whereas he seemed to be one where it's like, I think we're okay moving to him in yeah. this case. Yeah. Um, and I think that's pretty rare. Um, but, uh, as far as what, once the thing is saying, established, I mean, um, yeah, but, but get to, back to what we were saying about the idea that an indie filmmaker once, successful with the franchise can do what he or she wants. Uh, again, Christopher Nolan is, I think the biggest, um, the, the biggest example of this. And however I feel mm-hmm. about interstellar and inception, which is that neither of them is very good. Yeah. Uh, it is, I, I am in awe of the fact that they were made. I think it's, it is a good thing even for me to be bad. It's a good thing for, an original idea like inception yeah. to be given that much, uh, money and exposure and advertising Absolutely. dollars. And I, I think that's, that's good for us yeah. in general. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> well, you and I may not respond well to, or I, I know I myself don't respond well to like script issues and the idea of taking something that is cerebral and sure. making it really accessible, which maybe is the idea. It's they're like, okay, we can let you do this, but you need, you need to make sure that you don't leave anybody behind. Um, but at the same time, uh, yeah, it is something that is, that could, that is potentially confusing and he was allowed to do it. And I think that's very exciting. Although I will say, as I was looking, as I was doing my research for the episode, um, and I wasn't sure if I should lead with this or end with this. Okay. Um, so I guess I'll lead with it. Okay. I think that the best argument for this, that a filmmaker does well, in a commercial thing, a franchise might've in, in some cases might've kicked it off. Um, and then is allowed to do what he wants. I think the argument for that is Tim Burton for, okay. Beetlejuice was, uh, very popular. Okay. He did Batman, which of course was 
also pretty popular. (laughs) And then he did Edward Scissorhands, a film that I don't think he would have been allowed to make if he had not made Batman. That's a good point. Then he makes Batman Returns, follows that up with Ed Wood. I don't think he would have been able to make Ed Wood if he had not made. And I know Batman Returns didn't do as well, but it still did well. Um, And so I feel like and then if we want to go even further, something you and I've said before is he was allowed to make Batman returns the way he wanted to make it. Um, and so like, I don't know because, then, because you've got those, but when now we, we have who Tim Burton is now, and this is follow this analogy. Okay. If you will. Do you remember in the matrix after Neo takes the pill? Yes. Um, and then he touches the mirror, mm-hmm. right? And then his whole body slowly becomes glass. Yeah. And then it goes down his, I feel like Tim Burton, like delving into the big franchise thing is him touching the mirror. And for a time, it doesn't happen as quickly as it did in the matrix for a time. There's still most of him that isn't infected, but in the long run, it still overtakes him. If you want to look in the long run, it's like, it, maybe, but yeah. we, what do we, what have we got? We got Mars Attacks, a movie you and I enjoy. Yeah. We got Sleepy Hollow, a movie that I really like. I don't remember if you like it that much. Uh, I haven't seen it in a long time. Um, I don't remember liking it that much, actually. I stand by it because, like, it's a hard R. You're, you see a lot of heads get cut off, uh-huh. and I kind of love that. Um, that it's not a very... It's frightening at times. Like, it's not a very accessible film. Um, I should watch it again. And so... And then he did Planet of the Apes, which nobody likes um but i'm not sure if i blame him for that um and then he follows that up with i think uh big fish which which i have some respect for yeah you know what i don't love it but i have respect for it yeah because oh clearly this is something he's passionate about right and then he made big eyes which i heard was very bad i did not like um but i have respect for that as well you know it's really just like when he's doing you know and he did, and he did, I know he only produced nightmare before Christmas, but that's a Tim Burton thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that happened in what? 94. Um, so that was, you yeah, know, so he had a period there. He when had a he period was, when like, but eventually his being allowed to do stuff <laughs> was pretty amazing. Yeah. And I think it lasted long enough because I think, I think once you see what eventually happened to him, I think the argument, I think it falls into the argument that like, when a filmmaker is is given autonomy for long enough, that can actually be a bad thing because then they just they can become self indulgent and like yeah. you know maybe if a studio head, for example, said enough with the Johnny Depp, like get, yeah. get a new leading man. But I guess the question here, and this comes to uh, I guess semantics, but was Tim Burton ever actually an indie director? I mean, he worked he worked for Disney. Uh, he, you know, I mean, as much as I'd say he had some indie sensibilities, right? But um, I guess that's, this is where we have to, yeah, draw a line or, uh, or sketch a line that we can then erase and blow away later <laughs> if we start to feel another way about it. Yeah. But he was never, uh, I guess what I want to talk about for this type of, uh, I want to talk about like Colin Tre- Tre- Trevorrow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> here's the thing you and i are laughing at that <laughs> no one cares. only if someone listened to the last episode or the last movie journal i think movie journal i think w- might know but in in i would say 98 percent of cases they don't even remember what is so funny about yeah. the wooden name trevorrow to us <laughs> um so uh colin trevorrow makes an indie movie called safety not guaranteed 
from that gets sort of uh, plucked up into based on the success of that. Yeah. I think that's sort of what I want to talk about. Um, And the idea that, and I feel like this is something that, okay, this is something that I think used to happen a lot, which is the idea of directors who want to be big budget studio directors making either a small budget movie with a studio or making an independent film as a calling card. You know what I mean? Often often in a genre. Yeah. Like, I mean, uh, that's what bound was the Mm -hmm. Wachowski's, uh, first movie. They, they wanted to make the matrix from the beginning. Yeah. They essentially made bound to show, we know what we're doing with cameras and editing and stuff. Um, and I think like, uh, you know, James Cameron and people who come up in the right, came up in the Roger Corman type of, uh, school, uh, 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 you know, uh, are that now I feel like it might be a little more, I, I don't know. It might be a little more subtle or maybe more insidious. Like maybe insidious is the word I like, thought you were going to use. I've never used, I've never seen. Um, and I like to joke that I will never see, uh, 500 days of summer. Okay. Um, but <laughs> this would be mean of me to actually accuse Mark Webb. Even if I had seen the movie, it's especially mean if I haven't seen the movie, but let's just say, what if Mark Webb made 500 days of summer, not as a passion project or not because uh, not out of some sort of artistic motivation, but as a calling card, it's impossible it, to know is, but is that the new version of like you said, usually in a genre is yeah. the new version now of that to make a quirky Sundance friendly indie. I don't think so. I view it as, um, I don't want to be clear both to our listeners and to Mark Webb, who I know listens. Obviously, um, I am not actually accusing you of that. I used an example yeah, yeah. of a movie I hadn't seen because it's exactly the story we're talking about. He made an indie movie and went on to make two, uh, amazing Spider-Man movies. They're not amazing. The yes, there we go. <laughs> the franchise is called the amazing yes. Spider-Man, which he I made... have to say to differentiate it from Sam Raimi's. Yes. Who we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, yeah, I actually, I, because I want to give people the benefit of the doubt, um, I would say that when a, when a filmmaker has that small of a budget, then obviously it's always going to be kind of a calling card. They have to know that that is how that is. It will serve that function. But I think they're also like, but this is also something I want to make and I think will be fun. Um, Or I'm trying to express myself or whatever it may be. So I feel like, you know, it'd be cynical of me to say that that's the only reason they're doing it. It'd be naive of me to say that they weren't aware of the possibility. So I think it has to be probably in the middle there. Especially, I guess, if we're talking about guys like Mark Webb and Colin Trevorrow, um, who have, uh, even though I, I, I like safety, not guaranteed quite a bit. And I haven't um, seen that, but I did see 500 days of summer. Okay. So between the two of us, we've we got, got all it. the bases covered. Yeah. Um, these are guys who, whether the first films are, they're something they're passionate about or not. They probably are. That's what I'm mm-hmm. saying. Uh, they still have populist sensibilities. Do you know what I mean? Yes. They're not yeah. real, like crazy mavericks or yeah. people like I think like a James th- Gunn is the one I tend to right. Or, well, to. What, I, what I was thinking to get this will get us away from comic books, but still into franchises, Paul Greengrass. Yeah. Uh, not being a commercial director when he made, makes things like Sunday, bloody Sunday, right? His is just bloody Sunday. Bloody Sunday, Sunday, bloody Sunday, 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 Sunday,
uh, which I reviewed for the website when, it, when the Criterion put it out. Um, yeah, sorry, Bloody Sunday. Um, that like that's 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 those that's one of the ones that is surprising, like in a good mm-hmm. way. Like I really liked the first uh, Born Identity, which by the way, Doug Liman's another yeah um, person. We should actually put a pin in that because I would like to talk more about Doug Liman. Let's let's do that. Um, uh, I like the first Born Identity, and so the idea when I heard, oh, the guy did he make something between Bloody Sunday and Born uh, uh, Supremacy? Supremacy? I don't think so. Okay. But he might so, have. So when I heard the guy who made Bloody Sunday is making the next Bourne movie, I was like, that sounds crazy. And I really look forward to it. And I think it was kind of crazy. I think given what action movies are now, yeah. if you hadn't, if you're a young person now who is used to the more recent action movies and you watch Bourne Supremacy, it probably won't seem that daring. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it was a surprise. Like uh, he, Paul Greengrass of all people, this like political realist filmmaker, right? Yeah. Ended up changing the face of American action movies. Yeah. It was kind of, a, it was like a one, two, probably a one, two, three punch. It was Paul Greengrass. And then I think there was, um, I think honestly, Christopher Nolan with Batman begins, like there was kind of that chaotic action. Okay. And then I think you got some of it with Casino Royale, which admittedly it was still 2006, but yeah, it, that was later. They, they all kind of, embrace that what uh, our friend Matthias Stork would call chaos cinema. Yeah. And yes, that's what it was for a long time. I feel like we're kind of getting away from it now. But I, I, yeah, I think, I think Casino Royale, I don't think it's the, the last one in the beginning of that. I think it's the first one in the, you know, the, the, the fallout from what Paul Greengrass yeah. started because yeah, um, I guess, I guess Martin so. Campbell is already, yeah, already an action very, director and he'd already made like, he'd already made uh, golden eye, which is actually very slick. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're right. Uh, so I think that's Martin Campbell being influenced um, and inspired by. Paul okay, Congress. yeah, there was nothing in between Bloody Sunday and Born Supremacy. There's, it's only a two year difference. So like, yeah, clearly they saw it and was like, let's get this guy. <laughs> yeah. We, we got to get this guy, which is such an interesting idea. Yeah. Um, uh, should we go back to Doug Lyman? Uh, well, it's okay. I want to. I want to. I want to I want to go back to this idea of because uh, you said a word that got me basically painted a whole image for me. Was it Maverick? It was pluck. Oh, OK. Um, and because I pluck I, the verb to pluck. Pluck the verb is my favorite album by <laughs> I don't know. I don't have the energy to come up with one. Primus? There you um. go. <laughs> That's perfect. Uh, um, yeah, but not pluck like that. Kid's got a lot of pluck. No, no. Yes, yes. It's uh, uh, because I, it didn't put me in mind of the image, or sorry, it didn't put the image in mind. It made me realize that I already have the image in mind, and it's as you know, um, I tend not to have a great opinion of uh, studios, um, and there is there's something that seems insidious or nefarious about like just studio executives just sitting back like some kind of Roman emperor and then just watching all these little commoners in the uh-huh. form of like, you know, uh, uh, indie film directors who right. are just struggling and struggling. And then they show just a modicum of personality. And then they're saying like, mm, yes, he'll do, but he will play by the rules. Like it's, it's a very, like that's, that's the image I, I like, have. Yeah. And the idea of plucking them out of, out of obscurity. Yeah. You know, and it's they like, all talk like hedonism bot. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, you will direct the third Iron Man. Um, and so, uh, 
Uh, bad example. Uh, that's a bad example. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they wanted somebody who couldn't be more of a studio guy, but still yeah. had his own voice. You, you should have gone uh, with X Men Origins Wolverine. There, oh, Gavin. That's Hood. yes. That's the one X Men movie I haven't seen because I heard it was so horrible. I haven't seen it. And Wolverine was my guy growing up. You would have think you would have thought that the first uh, Wolverine movie I would be all but, in for. But you did see the Wolverine. I did. Okay. Because that one's more of a direct reference, like an actual uh, comic book series that I did read. Um, but yeah, and, and so uh, who made that? Um, oh, that's uh, James uh, Mangold. Oh yeah, I like him. And so yeah, I do too. Uh, and so I feel like I wanted to look at that image and think like, of course it's an extreme image, but is it inaccurate? The idea of we're doing this like honestly. Hey, this guy has a little bit of flair. He might be able to do something with this thing, but honestly, we don't want him to do that much with it, uh-huh. you know, and he'll be so damn happy to have the opportunity and a budget to work with that. He'll just do whatever we want. Um, do you think that is, even if they're not consciously aware of it, I feel like that's the attitude. Do you think I'm being too cynical when I say that? No, I think that is that is the attitude. And there's also, I think, a, a further level of cynicism. And this, uh, again, I, I've, I keep like wanting to pull us back to Doug Lyman, but um, we will get there. I do want to talk I, about him. But I think it's this uh, it's the there was a sea change in the 90s with the success of independent. That's film. true. Yeah. And so now it feels like, OK, this guy's got uh, or, or this guy or gal has some sort of personality something that has connected with people because mm. they've made an independent film that's been successful. Uh, and also this will garner us some cred maybe mm-hmm. like we'll get that segment of the population by having uh, someone, the people who have heard of Mark Webb are now someone that they're now interested in the amazing Spider-Man where they maybe wouldn't have been before. Or at least that's the thinking. That's the thinking. It's, I think it's flawed thinking, but um I don't know. It's worked for me in the past. I think when, when directors like, I mean, I I was probably going to see the born supremacy anyway, because I liked, uh, the born identity so much. No, but, uh, yeah, sometimes there are directors. I mean, it certainly got my attention to go back to James Gunn with guardians of the galaxy. Like if, if I, even, even though the trailer was really good, if I, if I'd seen that trailer and it was directed by just somebody or even a director I didn't like, I'd be like, okay, I don't, I don't really care that much. Oh, or Pacific Rim. I would, I, I would have given Pacific Rim a wide berth if it weren't for Gamble del Toro. And as it turns out, I should have, uh, cause it's a stinker, but, um, but along those lines, there's a, Oh shoot. Gareth Evans. Who Which did one? Godzilla? That's Edward. Edward. Edwards. Edwards. Edwards yes. or Edwards. I think yeah. it's Edwards. And then Gareth um, Evans is the raid, raid yeah. guy. Um, and, you know, he made monster like that one. At least there's like a, such a clear, like, you know, line drawn, like, okay, he made something about big monsters and uh, we all know where that's going to go. Right. Right. But um, I wonder, I feel like, but then, that, that makes me think then that people, people, then audiences got angry that he brought a very specific kind of sensibility to Godzilla oh, in, which, in which you didn't see Godzilla that much. But, um, I've, and I said this for years, like the uh, Warner brothers picking Gareth Edwards to do Godzilla based on the success of monsters makes me think that those people didn't actually see monsters yeah. because the monsters are not the main part of it at all at all. But then there's some awesome effects yeah. that happen. And there's in some the genuine like, the uh, fear and yeah. that sort of thing. So. Yeah. But it, it, it seems like, uh, really, are you sure you want the Godzilla movie to be 
like this? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it is because I didn't see it. I, I'd be inter- Actually, I would be interested to know what you think of it because he makes enough choices in there that I really responded to mm-hmm. uh, that most audiences didn't. Like A lot of people are like, I just want to see more Godzilla. And I was like, I think we got what we needed. Um, right. Or at least what I needed. And so, um, yeah, I feel like we're veering all these different directions, but I was just... Uh, um, just... Well, one thing that I want to say is like, uh, at the time of recording, I have only recently seen that documentary, the death of Superman lives. Right. And that so fits into, in so many ways fits into what you're talking about in the nineties. We've got a script now, admittedly they went with other scripts, but the initial script written by Kevin Smith, Mm -hmm. it's going to be directed by Tim Burton. It's going to star Nicholas cage. And then, and then Kevin Spacey as Lex Luthor, who was, you know, coming off of usual suspects in yeah. seven. And I think probably LA confidential at that point. Um, and you had Nicholas cage who had won an Oscar and was on his way to becoming like an action star and hadn't, and, and was kind of in that area then. Um, and, but what's interesting is the, and the studio seemed excited by some of the stuff that Tim Burton was doing with it, but he was very much making a Tim Burton Superman movie. And I think once they saw what, what that budget was going to be, I think they were a little iffy about, I think the studio set itself was a little iffy about, um, putting this kind of money, not into merely a Superman movie, but one that looks like this and will have this kind of feel and will star Nicholas cage of all people. Like I think, uh, I think you got, I think you got like uh, an an instance of them saying, "Oh, we did hire this director because he is a brand, but uh, I don't know if we can commit 160 million dollars to that brand mm-hmm. because we don't want to lose the money." Um, man, that's a good documentary. Like it's actually sorry, it's a, it's remarkably informative and it does its job. I do think it overstates overstates its welcome just a little bit, but um, but it's very in, uh, interesting. Sorry to go back to that. It's it's on my mind. That's okay. So, um, but we can move on and we can finally, if you want get to Doug Lyman. Okay. Um, I have to this day not seen swingers. I should say, yeah, that's going to hinder you here. I know. Cause a swingers is great. I'm sure it is. It. Um, but, uh, you know, when we were talking about Martin Campbell making casino Royale mm-hmm. and I was saying, he's not the last of the first wave. He's the first of the second wave. Mm hmm. I wonder where John Favreau. Uh, I wonder where sorry John Favreau and Doug Lyman fall on that. Do you know what I mean? That's because that's time wise. Swingers is right at that point where it's like maybe there was some calculation to to this. Maybe this was a calling card for uh, the career that both of them went on to. Um, I don't know. I uh, swingers. Okay, having not seen, it, not seen it, but it. having frankly absorbed a lot of it uh-huh. uh, just through culture. Um, what year did that come out? 96, like 96, 97, I think right around there. So it's like, that seems like a very specific kind of nineties movie. Uh-huh. I think it was somebody embracing and maybe doing, and doing a great job with it uh, from what I've heard. Um, but I think that's a calling card, but I don't think it's nearly as, uh, offbeat as it would appear as we would think of it now. I think it fits, it would fit very firmly with what nineties movies were nineties indie movies. Yeah. 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 Like but really I, talky and you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But it has so much uh, respect for other, 
you know, there's a lot of talk about Scorsese and Tarantino mm-hmm. in it. Um, and there's even talk about, uh, boys in the hood. Like, it seems like it's in referencing people like Tarantino and John Singleton. It does seem like it's being influenced by its immediate predecessors. Sure. The way that Martin Campbell was when he made Casino Royale. Again, I don't yeah. see Casino Royale. I'm just talking about what you're talking about. It's an odd, this is an odd, episode <laughs> between the two of us. We're like a real critic. <laughs> um, so I, I, I guess that's, that's the point that I, uh, wanted to, to get to because Doug Lyman, I don't think of him like a Steven Soderbergh, like, okay. um, an independent director, both because he made movies independent of the, of the system, but also he's so, individualistic and auteuristic. Like, I don't know that I ever have thought of Doug Lyman as an auteur or John Favreau. Hmm. I think both I, have made some great I, movies. Yeah. I think I'm more inclined to think of Doug Lyman as an auteur, partially because <clears throat> when I think of John Favreau, I associate him as I'm sure a lot of people do with two Iron Man movies. Okay. Um, also made elf. He made Elf, yeah, which I like a lot. He made Cowboys and Aliens, which I, I thought was see. fine. He made Zathura. Is that what that was That's, called? Yes, he did. I never saw it. Neither did I. I've heard good things. Um, and then I saw Chef, which we'll talk oh, yeah. about I a like little bit Chef. later. I love Chef, I think. Yeah. Um, it's kind of it's a surprisingly unstructured movie, but I kind of love it. Um, and it has essentially no, like, antagonist. <laughs> I mean, there appears to be an antagonist. Well, there are, there are kind of two. There is Dustin Hoffman, yeah, and Oliver Platt. But I think, I think John Favreau as a film because obviously it's all just a metaphor for filmmaking. But like, right. I think he has been on enough sides of everything, yeah, because he's been a, a producer on just as many things as he's you know probably more things than he's been a director. So he's seen the executive side. So I think he, but, I think he understands where Dustin Hoffman is coming from, and I think yes. he has sympathy for the critic. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, both of them end up being very, not very sympathetic, but you see things from their side. Yeah. But I just, from a, I don't know, screenwriting perspective, I don't think of those as antagonists because they're more like the catalysts. Yeah, that's true. And for most of the movie, they're not in it. Yeah. I, I do. Uh, yeah. I think Dustin Hoffman is more of a catalyst and I, and I think Oliver Platt's character, because he keeps coming back to the restaurant, I think, uh, okay. he's, Again, it's it's weird to say antagonist, uh, especially when you realize that every time he comes to the restaurant, he wants good things. Right? You know, yeah, um, he's not coming to yeah to break like, down. I feel like as as simplistic as the movie kind of is, I feel like it has a really nuanced way of looking at the the way all of these things relate to each other. You know, you and I, or I guess I'm very inclined to just shit on studios and say everything's their fault uh-huh. but you never you know if you get a, a really great producer who uh, who has an artistic uh appreciation and will fight for movies then you you know and sometimes even a studio head will fight for a movie that he believes in and like that's really or exciting she. or she pardon me i'm sorry at the moment i was in the, at the time i uh, that i was saying that i was thinking of george schaefer who fought for uh, citizen king okay and so um but yeah, and so I feel like, uh, and then you have critics who certainly are not, you and I know, are certainly not the enemy of filmmaking. And so I feel like that's a film that understands that all of these people have a part to play. And that that scene with Dustin Hoffman where he talks about, like, if you went and saw the Rolling Stones and they didn't play <laughs> Satisfaction. Satisfaction, it's like, you, 
you'd be angry, right? He goes, yeah. He's like, yeah, you'd burn the fucking place down, you know? <laughs> and it's like, and I remember when I saw that, I was like, oh, I thought Dustin was going to be a bad guy, but you know what? He makes a good point. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, uh, but, but between John Favreau and Doug Lyman, I think I probably think of Doug Lyman as more of an auteur than John Favreau. Like when I, cause I've seen enough of his v- movies now that I have a sense of how he makes films, which is very, and this may seem like a negative. I don't think it is very slick, very self-assured is going to use editing in a way that, uh, can be a punchline uh-huh. that can, uh, get your, uh, your heart rate going can really, you know, cause when I think of, yeah, but I, I think I'm as much of a Doug Lyman fan as you are. I just think of these things as him being really competent. Uh, just I guess there's skilled. I don't know that I see, I guess I look at like his movies. I guess, uh, I guess born identity is not that funny, but like, I think of his movies as like, they're going to be, they're going to have a great pulse pounding action. Uh-huh. You will also probably laugh a lot. And they're going to be pretty, pretty like, you know, uh, what? Oh, shoot. Before we were, uh, before we were, um, recording, you were talking about what's the name for those USA detective shows, blue sky procedural, blue sky procedurals. Like these yeah. are like blue sky action movies, you know, right. except born identity, which is pretty, I'd say that whole series is pretty humorless, uh, which I'm fine with. Yeah, I guess. Um, but born identity is a lot more, um, conventional. Yeah, it's, it sure is. The other yeah. ones. Um, yeah. But uh, now we're all f- conveniently forgetting that Doug Lemon also made Jumper. I didn't see it. Did you? Yep. Oh, all right. Is <laughs> it good? No, it's okay. not very good. <laughs> um, but yeah, I feel but like I saw it because it was Doug Lyman. So apparently that, uh, yeah. that works. Yeah. It's, I feel like that's the mark of an auteur. Like if somebody's merely competent and I've taken the time to know their name, if they're competent and they, and a lot of their films kind of feel the same, not all of them, but they tend to feel the same and their name is enough to get me interested. I feel like that's auteur enough. Okay. Yeah. I guess that's where you and I differ. Cause I don't, I don't think it was an auteur, but, uh, we both agree that he's very talented. It, very much so. Yeah. Jumper notwithstanding. Uh, yeah, I guess not. Yeah, um, I was going to say you should see it, but you don't, you really, really yeah. don't need, like, well, I mean, I'm not I'm, warning you away If I'm going to be an auteur completist, I got to watch <laughs> right. Swingers and Jumper. Yeah. Uh, you should watch Swingers. It's great. Yeah, um, I know. Everyone says that I love it. I'm sure I will. Um, but Jumper isn't like a toxic movie that's terrible. It's just like, it's literally, if there's, if there is anything, if there's any such thing as an inessential movie, it's Jumper. Yeah. I remember when I saw it, I, and I thought like, Oh, that's kind of a neat premise. I'm sorry. What was I thinking? <laughs> like it just, it, it left my mind immediately. It jumped out of your mind. Whoa, watch out. Um, <laughs> and right onto the page. Um, so, uh, uh who else, you know, let's, yeah, we, we, we both made lists, I assume, right? Um, sort of, um, okay. I want to talk about Ryan Johnson. Doing, oh, okay. Doing a, he's doing a star Wars thing. Right, yeah, he's doing a Star Wars. Is he making thing. a Star Wars movie, or is he making one of the uh, like a spin off? like a spinoff. I think they're calling them like Star Wars anthology movies. They can call them whatever they want. You and I know what they are, which is they are. What are they? They could be Frasier, or they could be Joey. Who knows? But they're a spinoff. No, he is making. Okay, according to what website am I on? I'm with Geek. I don't know this website. Um, but you can't a, trust anything they say. According to them, he's making Star Wars eight. So, 
Okay, so he is making like in the official right. Okay, and then who was making? Uh, see, we we picked the topic that we're just like showing our ignorance for, for the record. Uh, I thought we were talking specifically about comic book franchises, and my list uh, reflects that. Okay, if you want to talk about Ryan jo- Johnson, go right ahead. But I, I feel like this is we're we're talking about Comic Con stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, this definitely fits into it. And I'm pretty sure there's one or two Star Star Wars lines of comic books. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think it would translate. (laughs) So, uh, and I'll, and I'll say this, like, while while it would be nice to know the specifics, anything star Wars at this point is going to be a high, a high priority. And, um, right. And so that will also have a high budget. So the studio is clearly is willing to, um, undoubtedly based on looper, uh, and looper and just his general sensibilities, uh, is willing to take the, the risk. And I, yeah, and I feel like having liked, um, I like, I like Ryan Johnson even when I don't like his movies. Cause I, of the three movies he's made, yeah. right. I only really like brick. I have a lot of problems with the brothers bloom and a few problems with looper, but I still really respect him as a filmmaker. Do you know I, what I mean? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I love brick. I enjoy Brothers Bloom to a point, um, and then there are things that I really like about Looper, but I don't. I haven't embraced the other two, like Brick. But all three of them, it's just like I'm glad I watched them. Yeah. And at the end of it, it's like not the most satisfying experience, but you know what? Good for good for him. Right. And yeah. And Looper being his, you know, dip into like the high budget uh, studio genre movie. Yeah. Still feels like him. Yes, it really does. Uh, so I'm. I'm interested in Star Wars 8, I guess. Yeah. I, th- I couldn't remember if he was doing Star Wars 8 or Star Wars Rogue One, but uh, our pal Gareth Edwards. Okay. Pal, yeah. The guy we just talked about, yeah. Gareth Edwards, is doing Rogue One. Well, and you know what's interesting is... Be- okay, so nobody has seen The Force Awakens yet. Uh, well, some people have. The minute right. I said that, that way, I knew that you wouldn't let it go, because that's who you are. <laughs> You're a jerk. <laughs> I hate you so jerky? much. No, no. I just like, you know, yes, obviously accuracy. the people making the movie yeah. and for with the studio. I mean, nobody like you and me. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to slit your throat. <laughs> so, um, I like to be precise. I've with lost, language. I've lost my train of thought. Well, well, you stated incorrectly just... that no one had seen force awakens yet. That's where we left off. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. What was I got to get back into my, Oh yeah, that is. Um, so it's interesting. So like with Ryan Johnson, I don't know yet how the studio will treat him. I don't know how much he'll be allowed to bring himself, how much of himself he'll be allowed to bring in because the last few have all been George Lucas. And before that it was different filmmakers, certainly, but with a heavy George Lucas influence, this like I'll be interested to see, and then if, and then the other thing is like J.J. Abrams, a, a very good and competent filmmaker, but he is so in like he's been wanting, he's clearly been, he's been auditioning to make Star Wars with his last few movies, uh-huh. and there's I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but like I think he's he's going to hold the material with such he's going to view it with such reverence that he he'll want to be true to that as much as possible. Ryan Johnson I think will be the first instance where it's someone who undoubtedly loves these movies, but I think he will be committed to like, I want to, you know, make it my way. And then I'll be interested to see 
how much he's allowed to make it his way. Like if somebody said Ryan Johnson was going to make a Marvel movie, I have enough experience with Mar- Marvel movies to know oh, okay. how much he'll bring of himself. Oh, I yeah. But because we haven't seen that yet with Lucasfilm, um, I don't know. I'm. They might give him like a, a a a totally free hand. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know how much. Cont- it's certainly Star Wars is certainly a brand, and they don't want him to move that far from it. But yeah, I don't know. Um, it'll be it'll be interesting to see and maybe very frustrating is do you know is JJ Abrams like staying on as a producer uh, I wonder I don't know actually um, um, I'm sure that would make a difference because yeah. I feel like he's somebody who would probably fight for a filmmaker being able to do what they want um, uh, yeah, he's, he always does no Super 8 was original but like <laughs> yeah. Ish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. I'm being, uh, yeah. Yes, it was not based on an existing property. And I, this, yes. is, this is coming from someone who actually really likes Super 8. I yeah. know it's not a popular opinion. But um, like, so yeah, he did, he, the, he came in for Mission Impossible. Sorry, let me talk about Super 8 for a second. Okay. <laughs> this is off topic. Okay. But I said it's not a popular opinion that Super 8 is a good movie. But I actually think that's within the like geek film fan sub subculture. Mm-hmm it's not a very well regarded movie because I think basically I think they're focusing more. And this is not something that they're doing wrong. Mm -hmm. I just think that that contingent of fan is focusing more on the monster or alien type of part of the story. And that is the weakest part of the story. Uh, whereas I think someone who's not approaching it first and foremost as a piece of like genre, sci-fi horror influenced, uh, fiction, tends to like the movie more. And that's just a, I don't, I'm not saying one is more right than the other. It's sort of like how I feel about lost. Like there are a lot of different ways to approach yeah. lost. This is sticking with JJ Abrams yeah. sort of, he didn't have much yeah. to do with lost. Um, but, uh, depending on which way you approach lost, you're going to feel much differently about how it ended. And well, I kind of feel that way about, about super eight. I, I think. wonder like if you're a fan of genre, even like just genre films, like of that, of like sci-fi or horror or whatever, you might find it lacking. But if you're, I wonder if you're a film fan in general, uh-huh. maybe you'll like it more. Uh, maybe, but I just think of it as a, uh, I approach it, I think as a coming of age movie before yeah. other things. And I think it yeah. works really well as that. Yeah. So, that's what I like it's, about it. It's uh, Close Encounters by Way of Stand By Me and Jaws. Yeah. And Goonies. Oh, yeah, absolutely. When's but the last time you saw Goonies? It's been a long, long time. I don't, I don't, I've I, seen it in it in my adult years. Oh, okay. I and uh, I don't think it holds up That very seems well. to be the uh, a lot of people <laughs> feel that way. And yet my knowledge of that has not deterred me from thinking, i got to watch Goonies again. <laughs> Uh, where were we? We go back to, we need to go back. Well, we were to, talking about Ryan Johnson. Okay. Oh, and I was going to say about speaking uh, while we're with JJ Abrams. Now, uh, you know, I'm a cynic mm-hmm. or at least a pessimist. Sure. Yet I feel more than 50% confident that I'm going to like force awakens. Do you feel that way? Like, I, I don't know what it is about it, but I feel like I think this is going to be good. Well, it's one of those things that like, you know, and I know that you, you don't watch trailers, but, um, but I have watched these trailers. Okay. I'm All not, right. Yeah, <laughs> not completely unplugged from reality. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not even from culture, from reality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you have a brain and yeah, it is dude. functioning and you can perceive reality, yeah. you will have perceived the Star Wars trailers. Yeah, um, really, they are. Yeah, they're a part of the oxygen now. Assuming that those trailers are in are in, in fact 
indicative genuinely trying to capture the spirit of the film okay. i feel like i'm i'm optimistic and i like i like his movies right i yeah, like to start trek movies i liked mission impossible 3 i have a certain degree of respect for uh super 8 um i actually haven't seen the star trek movies i own them you um, should but you should borrow them probably not gonna happen i think you would enjoy them uh, yeah, yeah. The thing with, that we're dancing around here when I'm saying there's a lot of movies I haven't seen is that I don't actually <laughs> watch very many franchise movies less and less as I get older. It seems like, uh, what's well, cause there's more and more of them and you don't have a whole lot of time. But I think, uh, and I was talking about this with, uh, with, with my wife about why I, a couple of times cause why I wasn't, and I know I should be because everyone says it's amazing, but I wasn't interested in seeing Mad Max Fury Road. Mm. I still haven't seen it. You would um, love it. And I said that you couldn't pay me to see Jurassic World. Um, and she was like, you go to shitty movies all the time. Like, yeah. as a part of like press screenings, I happily accept, uh, you know, uh, invites to movies that look shitty a mm. lot. I do it a ton. <laughs> um, and I give them a fair shake and sometimes they turn out to be really good. And sure. sometimes they turn out to be, uh, I don't know, uh, sympathy for delicious. But, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think the idea, the further you get into the sequelness of anything, yeah. there's something in my brain that switches that I, uh, I lose interest, which I think is why. If, and I don't know if I, here's the thing. I don't think I lose interest, but I think I temper my expectations. Um, which is why when I see Iron Man three, which again was brought, it was a different director. You know, and one that is very capable and has been given a surprising amount of freedom within the studio system, which I think is fascinating. But um, well, because he constantly makes either writes or directs movies that are I guess, successful. I guess there's that, but it's not like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang did well. You know, um, I don't think it was a very. I don't think it cost a lot either. I think it probably made more than made its money back. I, I guess. guess so. I just don't think of it as very high profile. It, I think I, I guess it had a cult following, but um, anyway. Uh, yeah, it's like, weird, weird to think that like in a it's weird in a post Iron Man age to think that like it was seen as risky. Yeah. Ca- <laughs> like Robert Downey Jr. is like a risk, risky casting. Yeah. Is it, like when people heard like oh Shane Black's making a movie with Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer, like is that everything ever going to get out of the gate? Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I remember just thinking about the casting of Robert Downey Jr. and just being like, really, uh-huh. huh? Yeah. All right. Sure. <laughs> and just not, uh, I don't know. It's, it's so weird. He's become so prolific for good or ill, uh, in the last seven years that it's weird to think that there was a time when Robert Downey Jr. Was a risk or not on your radar at all. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's just so crazy to think about, but, um, yeah, those are the days. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like what he's done with the Iron Man character, but, um, but yeah, and so, uh, yeah, sorry to go back to it. Like, I remember people were really, ex- like, critics were really excited with what he did in Zodiac. Uh-huh. They're like, oh, yeah. it's, it's like, I think Robert Downey Jr., like, he's, you know, he's doing some good stuff. I think, I think he might be ready for, like, like a, like a, a resurgence. Uh-huh. And then they had no idea <laughs> what was to come. Was yeah. to come. But um, anyway, so, um, yeah, uh, I think, I think at this point, um, like, with the Marvel films, I'll see them. Maybe not all of them when I look at the slate for the next five years, but I'll see them. Um, and then I will look for 
I be, honestly because like I like being part of that conversation. Not to ne- not necessarily like being in the know, but it's like all right. Well, a lot of people have opinions about this, and I have an opinion that maybe might run counter to to people's, or might uh, run counter to my film critic friends. You know, yeah. um, either way, like people arrive at the Marvel movies with a very strong opinion already of what they're going to be, and maybe I don't know, inclu- including me. But anyway. Um, but I know what to expect from from those, and I try to just be like, okay, well, if so, if there's anything even mildly original in one, then great. Which is why Iron Man three threw me when uh, and uh, the second Captain America, where they embraced like a different genre within mm-hmm. that. It's like, okay, that's exciting. Um, and why I was so invigorated by some of the things explored by Jurassic World, because when you make the fourth movie in a franchise, like, okay, well, it's you know it the last thing it's going to be is surprising it's just going to give you more of the same and one can make the argument that jurassic world does give you more of the same but it's like yeah i i (laughs) with what's on the screen as far as story sure but there's so much more going on there and this reminds me of what i actually wanted to talk about at the top of the show and i forgot about okay and that is i saw the trailer for creed i haven't haven't uh watched the trailer great well, it's, and it um, looks uh, Ryan Coogler who made Fruitvale yeah. Station, which I thought was really good. And what fascinates me is that, I mean, it looks like a very gritty. I mean, this you know, you could remove the Rocky character, you could remove the the Creed aspect of it, and just have it be a straightforward like boxing movie, and it would still be really powerful. But the fact that it brings this other stuff in, and and seems almost like a backdoor pilot. Uh-huh. Um, for a, now a, a uh, an Adonis Creed uh, thing. Um, what's fascinating is that it's very you know uh, very gritty and it seems to be very realistic. And so this this uh, Creed kid talks about like how he never really knew his father and you know that kind of thing. And what I find fascinating is like yes, in this gritty realistic film, you don't know your father. Why is that? Because he was murdered in the ring by a, like a genetically modified Russian. Like <laughs> that's what this series is. You know what I mean? I, yeah, I didn't. Like, here's he was the thing. A I, Russian super weapon. I, like, um, I've only seen Rocky, so I didn't know okay. that that's what happened. I don't know if he's genetically modified, but like he's basically like they, they like brainwashed Dolph Lundgren into being just a killing machine uh-huh. because that's how the Russians were in the eighties. Uh-huh. As we all know. <laughs> right. And, like it's so ridiculous but they don't they obviously don't want people to remember that uh they just want to remember that like because they do mention that like you know like like your someone says like your dad died in the ring and as i'm watching the trailer though the trailer looks great and i think Uh creed will be very good even then i just want to be like how how did he (laughs) die in the ring do you have any elaboration because this kid might not be proud of his father uh when he finds out uh how ridiculous this was and so um but that's an example like so that's a franchise that's now it's not necessarily like i guess it's about as mainstream a franchise as one can can get um and you get the director of Fruitvale Station, yeah. small film, indie film, and now here he is making this film and clearly being allowed a free hand to set the tone because this feels like something, you know, I, I don't, I, I doubt it's rated R, but it sure looks like it could be. Um, and then the sensibility of like, all right, 
there's a passing of the torch. Uh, the Rocky character is definitely supporting. Um, and that's just, I don't know. It's, I find it exciting. Like anytime there's just, even though this is what the seventh Rocky film, I guess that's right. Um, they found a new way to uh, approach it. And that excites me. And that's something that I guess, I guess it comes down to, and it chills me to say this. It comes down to studio decisions and producer decisions of how much of a free hand they're going to allow the filmmaker. And that can be great. And it can, it can reinvigorate a franchise. It can give the filmmaker a, a, a bigger budget than they've ever had to work with. And they utilize it perfectly or they decide we're going to play it safe and we're going to take away almost anything of what you were because I saw guardians of the galaxy and I know a lot of people love it. I still stand by my assessment that it is the most overrated movie of last year. Okay. Um, especially by our, our people, uh-huh. um, you know, critic, uh, online critic people, the people we're in San Diego with right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, and it was, uh, it's a fun movie, but like when I think of Slither and I think of Super and then I think of Guardians of the Galaxy, now don't get me wrong, I didn't expect it to be the R rated movie that those were. Right. But I wanted there to be more of an edge to it. And all there is is just kind of a, there's a shaggy dog quality to it that I like a lot that I think is kind of James Gunny. But, um, but yeah, there's just not much there. And it bums me out. And now he's going to do Guardians of the Galaxy 2. And I'm sure it'll Volume be. Volume 2. What? That's the, the official name, I think. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. It bothers me for some reason. Well, I don't know why that bothers I you. I actually know. like I like the simplicity of that title. Volume 2? I'm pretty sure that's the official... They announced recently that the name is... Okay, I, hang on. Two. I'm trying to think if I, I might be turning around on it. <laughs> Initially, I just thought, like, that's ridiculous. But it's like, maybe that's the idea. Um, if it is, it's less ridiculous than Thor, The Dark World. or like all, That's I, I, true. You know, Captain America, The Winter Soldier. I don't like... I think I'm annoyed by yeah, subtitles least, of movies. Yeah. I'd rather just be part Iron Man. Two. Just one, two, and three. Like, yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, I do like the um, uh, the 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 slightly higher minded Hangover movies that are the the Hangover Part Two and the Hangover oh, yeah. Part Three. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. Like this was all one like, grand novel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but uh, so I do actually. I know we probably need to start wrapping up. What time, oh, I know you, uh, you have a place to, have to be in about forty oh, minutes. Oh boy, yeah. Okay. Thirty-seven minutes. You have to be. Somewhere. Okay, so um, I wanted to talk about Sam Raimi. Okay. Who I was looking at his filmography in preparation for this, and. I feel like James Gunn is going to wind up a lot like Sam Raimi. Um, now don't get me wrong before he got to before he got to Spider-Man, Sam Raimi was a very successful director and yeah. worked in main in the mainstream. So that never lost himself. That's someone I think of as an auteur. I mean, he did lose himself in Spider-Man three, he, but he, well, he, and he did, uh, for love of the game, right? That's him. Oh, is that him? I never saw that one. I didn't either. Yeah. Maybe that's, maybe it's got Ramiisms all over the place, but, uh, I yeah. feel like probably not. Um, but yeah, no, he, he certainly in Spider-Man one and two, and I think maybe even a little bit in three, although not really. Um, I think he's still very much firmly himself, but what's interesting is when you look at his filmography, you, you know, leading up to Spider-Man, you see just this very disparate group of movies. And then starting in 2002, it goes, it says Spider-Man, Spider-Man two, Spider-Man three. So for like right. the next five or six years, that's what he was doing. And only that, like it was, he wasn't doing the Nolan thing where it's like, 
and I don't necessarily blame him. I mean, obviously there's studio pressure and stuff as well, but, um, he wasn't doing like, okay, I'll do a Spider-Man movie. Then I'll make a Sam Raimi movie. Now I'm going to do a, or one of my own. Um, it's just like, that's what he did. And then drag me to hell. Yeah. And it almost seemed like he needed to get certainly Spider-Man three. I'm sure he just needed to get this horrible taste out of his mouth. Yeah. Make one of the least accessible <laughs> films ever. And I know that cause I saw it with people that, uh, did not care for it. Is that um, true? I love that movie so much. I, lo- I love it. And I have so much respect for it. And I think that's, and it's, and it's one of the, but it is like, like, it's like, <laughs> what's the, um, who's the, the Marine in aliens? Um, I forget their names, but his, oh, would uh, you like me to say all of them? No, <laughs> uh, his, uh, video camera was like on the fritz or whatever. And he just like knocks his head against the thing. The character's name is Drake. That's Drake. Um, drag me to hell is Sam Raimi knocking his head against the wall and setting things right again. <laughs> yeah. But then right after that, he did Oz the great and powerful, right? I which I heard, which I actually heard really was not him. Like okay. he did not bring a lot of himself to that. And I think, and so it's just like, it's interesting. Cause I think he's a director so, that has a lot. I think he has natural mainstream sensibilities. And I think he's also, I think he's just perpetually happy to be making a movie, uh-huh. which is a good thing because I think no matter what you, you'll find that joy, um, in his movies, except Spider-Man three. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I, I don't know. It's, uh, I think he's like the one guy that absolutely fits into this discussion, but transcends it. Like he's like he, he made his sensibility mainstream. Yeah. He's not what I'm talking about with like what I was suggesting maybe with Doug Lyman and the idea mm-hmm. that he, uh, was, I don't even know if it's true or not, obviously, but the, the idea that, Doug Lyman was making commercially uh, accessible films from the beginning. Even when he was making an independent film, he was still making something. Whereas Sam Raimi remained himself, but his movies are so good that the culture just sort of like adjusted to him. Yeah. Maybe that was it. Yeah. Um, And so I find him interesting. And then, um, and I guess we could end with Guillermo del Toro, who, yes, he did, uh, he did Pacific Rim, but like he made the second Blade movie and then he did movie. I haven't seen any of them. Oh, I've seen all three of them. And, uh, it is the second one is, 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 is the other two aren't even in, in its company. I mean, when, the first blade has some things going for it. Yeah. I think it, it's a little, it's a, it's hokey at times, if you can imagine. <laughs> um, but it's hokey in ways that I think Guillermo del Toro was able to fit into, he's able to fit the, the sort of hokiness and pulpiness of it into the whole. Yeah. Whereas the first blade sometimes seems like it's trying to, it, it wants to be this like slick late nineties, uh, mm. type of movie. But it, then there's some stuff that's like, well, oh, that's just really corny. Um, and blade two is blade two just fires on all cylinders. So I gotta, I gotta watch these movies. Like it's that well, those you are, don't need to watch blade Trinity. <laughs> no, of course not. Um, but, uh, although but yeah, you should then, listen to anytime Pat and Oswald is interviewed and tell stories about blade Trinity. Cause they're all fascinating. Was he involved? Yeah, he's in it. Oh, he's in it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, uh, the, um, so he made Blade, and then he made Hellboy, which, of course, 
it was a pre-existing property, but the whole reason those films exist at all is because he wanted to make them. Right. Certainly Hellboy 2, like, he spearheaded that, and now there's going to be a Hellboy 3. Um, And so, like, so that is a franchise that was that was willed into existence by him. Uh-huh. And so like, he's not making any compromises in those films because it's not, no studio is like, we got to make Hellboy movies. Who, who are we going to get? Yeah. Uh, this, uh, this, uh, <laughs> Hispanic guy seems pretty good. Um, that's why Pacific Rim is so confounding to me because he had a huge budget and complete freedom to make whatever he want wanted. And yet it feels less like a Guillermo del Toro movie than any of his movies to me. I'm curious to see it because of that. Um, just because I want to see like, what is a del Toro movie that is not that at all look like? Meanwhile, what is that? Uh, Crimson peak. Is that what's yeah. Like that looks like a return exactly. to form. Yeah. Um, which is uh, exciting to me. And so for a long time, he was, working on a movie about the haunted mansion. Right. Yeah. But he wanted it to be not like the one with Eddie Murphy. He wanted it to be genuinely creepy and terrifying and, you know, it's just stuck in production hell and all that and uh, development hell and stuff. And, um, and then when I saw the trailer for crimson peak, I was like, well, I guess that, uh, haunted mansion movie isn't going to happen. And apparently it still is. Huh. So he's going to make a couple of haunted house movies, which you know Good. what? Yeah. <laughs> I think we it. all win. All right. Um, are you, uh, interested in, uh, you saw Chronicle, right? I did. Are you interested in fantastic four? Sorry. Fan four stick. <laughs> Here's what's interesting. That really does bother me when people, I, I hate, yeah, absolutely. I don't like even movies. I like like seven. I don't like yeah. that. Before your cake. Your <laughs> <laughs> cake. Yes. I told you about uh, that, right? Yes, someone thought that was the no, title. No, okay. Yeah. Uh, um, there's a bunch of, I can't even think. Oh, of, it happens all the time. Um, uh, there's five null destination, <laughs> which my, right. my friend called five null goes west. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, Here's what interests me most about Fantastic Four is that um, they have like a like a tie-in with Denny's, <laughs> and like the Hobbit movies did. Yeah, but you know what? Here's the thing about the Hobbit movies is that the characters of the Hobbits love eating, right? Okay, and and then like the dwarves as well, and just like so and. And Denny's really made an effort to like change their menu and say like, like, Oh, here's Frodo's like pot, you know, a uh, pot of gold or something like that. But it's like these little, like, like this, uh, like sesame bread or something like that. Uh-huh. That's like dyed yellow. And it looks, you know, and it looks really good. This is literally like, uh, here's, uh, the thing burger and, uh, the invisible woman slam. There's one called the fantastic four each, uh, four cheese omelet. So it's like, all right, well that's, <laughs> that's fine. But, um, but it's so half-assed and part of me is just like, I never understand in the same way that like I went to IHOP once and they had like a despicable me tie in and I, and I just thought like what studio, I mean, I guess they'll take money wherever they can get it. Uh-huh. But at the same time, like Denny's IHOP. Yeah. Who gives a shit? Yeah. Like that's, yeah, and I mean, at least favorite part of the Hobbit movies is that there was a, the fact that there was a Denny's in Lake Town just didn't yeah, seem. I know, didn't seem to fit. Yeah, just. <laughs> and they spent like forty minutes there, yeah. <laughs> just looking at, looking over. Just like, 
<laughs> Martin Freeman. Look, he sold the lines. Don't get me wrong. He was he was the best part of that Denny sequence when he just, he's, he's like, just look at this menu. Just look at all these options. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, I'm I'm interested in. You know what though? Here's to to tie it into our actual discussion. Um, what's his name? Trank. Josh Trank. Yeah, is that his name? Um, I liked Chronicle a lot. Um, but I think because it's like a found footage movie, which is my least favorite aspect of it, I feel like uh, that is such a specific subgenre and it's such a specific um, approach to a film. Yeah. And Fantastic Four doesn't have that. So I feel like whatever he, I mean, I guess maybe he could bring his tone to it, but by and large, I feel like right. he is a filmmaker is going to get will be whatever he is as a filmmaker is going to get completely lost. Um, and so I'm curious about the film partially because of the cast. Um, and I'll wait and see, I'll, you know, if we get a screening for it, I'll take it. Um, if you don't, um, but, uh, otherwise I'll, I'll wait for the reviews. It might be, it might be a movie pass movie. Um, the uh, the director I forgot to mention um, was is Justin Lin, who has mm. had uh, an amazing career with yeah. these Fast and Furious movies, um, and now is uh, has been directing the second season of True Detective. I don't think mm. he's doing the whole thing, but um, the way that Carrie Fukunaga did, I think they are switching up. Maybe I'm wrong. Anyway, um, but have you seen have you seen his first film, Better Luck Tomorrow? I have not. I've heard it's wonderful. Uh, it, I don't know if wonderful is the right way. It's incredibly accomplished and it really does feel like what I've accused other people of doing is it's just a, a calling card movie because mm-hmm. it's uh, I mean it has a, a fun twist that it's like it's essentially like Goodfellas except instead of the mob it's um, Asian Asian American high schoolers uh, who um, get into criminal activities while also you know, studying and keeping up great scores and, and the idea that like, there's like as high stress it is as it is to be like running guns or whatever they're doing. Yeah. The pressure put on them to get high SAT scores and stuff is also a part of the that pressure. Sounds great. It is. Like it is yeah. Uh, it's, it's very it, specific to the culture. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, it, yeah. It's an interesting movie. Anyway, um, I, uh, I had a, like, you're the one, one who has one, a place to be. I know I've got one last thing. Okay. Oh, yes, I've got some place to be. Damn it. Okay. Well, I guess I can, I guess I can push it back like 10 minutes perhaps. Um, so one thing that happens a lot, uh, a conversation that, that pops up a lot with, um, especially with like online critics is, Oh, wouldn't you love to see such and such a director, like direct, uh, a superhero movie or something like this or like, right. or, and sometimes they'll get specific. And, so I've got two questions for you. Number one is, have you ever thought that like, Oh, wouldn't it be great to see so-and-so direct this or I have a very specific one. Okay. Uh, go ahead. I would love to see with complete artistic freedom and budgetary freedom. I would love to see a Superman movie directed by the Polish brothers. I think that would be amazing. It's very specific, (laughs) but Uh, they have this sense of Americana to them. Do you know what I mean? Yes, they do. That I think would actually, in a really specific way, the, the the kind of thing you can, there's a reason I like comic book. Like I like superheroes in comic books more than movies mm-hmm. because there's not as much as an investment. You it's pen and paper and markers and stuff. Yeah. You can be more experimental. Yeah. And I think, um, the Polish brothers could do something with Superman that you might see in like a, a, a one-off like 
run mm-hmm. of comics or, or 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 something like that. Something just a weird take on it. I think it would be really cool. I think it'd be interesting to see as far as Superman, like and Americana and like a really straightforward approach. I think uh Joe Johnston who did the Rocketeer, he did ca- the first Captain America. Right. I think that'd be interesting. Um the one that I come back to, although it's not a um it's not a comic book movie. Um, and I did a fantasy casting of this and this was the director, uh, Nicholas winning Refn. I would like to see him do an alien movie. Uh-huh. Um, I think that'd be horrifying. <laughs> I think it would be certainly it'd be moody. And I think he'd yeah. bring a very strong visual sense and it would obviously the, be the goriest alien movie right. of all of them. Right. And I also think that, um, Wes Anderson should do a version of clue, but, uh, okay. that, that was also a fancy casting. But, and so, so we say these things and I know, I think I had a friend once say like, wouldn't it be neat to see Quentin Tarantino do a superhero movie? And I, and my thought is the only way that would be, I guess he has enough clout that he'd probably be allowed to do whatever he wanted. Yeah. Um, but I feel like by and large, anytime we say these kinds of things, uh, it, it's, it's complete fantasy because yeah. we say this, but we know that like, if so-and-so was entrusted, if the Polish brothers, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you've seen North fork, right? Uh, I actually haven't. No, I'll lend it to you. Okay. You can watch it in between star Trek movies to calm you down. <laughs> um, but I have seen, uh, the astronaut farmer, which is a movie that people completely write off, but is actually really interesting. I didn't see that when I saw twin falls, Idaho. Oh, okay. And then I saw, um, North fork, but, um, but like if the Polish brothers were given, you know, uh, a Green Lantern movie uh-huh. or something, or let's just stick with Superman. They were given a Superman Superman movie. Like they're not going to be be allowed to be the Polish brothers. Yeah, that's like yeah, that's the problem. Like that's that's where all the like and that's what we all speculate happened with Ant Man. Exa- oh, absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah, and I'm seeing the screening of that, and I'm curious. Uh, the reason I'm I'm not even going to say excited, but the reason I'm curious about it is because I think what will make it unique is the scale aspect mm-hmm. and seeing stuff really, you know, seeing him run up the barrel of a gun looks interesting. Yeah. It's an interesting idea, but of course, how much more interesting would it have been with this other thing? And so now my question to you, sorry, this is the I last like Peyton thing. Reed though, by the way, go ahead. I can't, he did down with love, which is, a, Oh, I did like that. It's the complete, it's such an underrated. I feel like everyone who's seen down with love knows it's great, but a lot of people didn't see it and people still don't talk about it. It's so good. Yeah, that um, is a really good movie. Yeah, he also made Bring It On, which a lot of people like. Uh, it's not my favorite. I did not see it. Okay. Um, so now my question to you, bringing this all back around. So Ava uh, DuVernay yep. is not directing the Black Panther movie. Yeah. Which makes you happy for her. Yeah. But now the question is, for those that are fans of black Panther and thought maybe she will do a good job. That's a good point. Yeah. Now the question is they're probably going to bring in all due respect to Peyton Reed. I'm sure he's a perfectly fine filmmaker, but they're going to bring in the equivalent of that. And now the character is going to be that that film's going to have a little bit could potentially have a little bit less life to it. You know what I mean? And like, that's the other side of it is yeah, possibly. if you, if you like the material and you have a filmmaker that like, you know, I, I don't care about Ant-Man, but if I did yeah. and I saw Edgar Wright, I would be more excited that like, I know he's not going to be allowed to do everything he wants, but he'll do something and there will be a visual flair to it that will do this character justice. You know, like it's now I think you and I are probably more inclined to think more in terms of like the director, but with these, 
any any of these properties bring with them an audience that has a very specific desire to see it realized well and so i don't know it's again like it's 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 really complicated in a way that i think it should be but it makes it hard to have this conversation in a clear-cut way and say it's always bad right. or it's always oh, yeah, good yeah. Um, who do you think do you think uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna assume marvel is going to when they replace david duvernay mm-hmm. they're gonna stick with the black director i think that's something they want for yeah black i Panther. think so who do you think well, obviously Lee Daniels. <laughs> that, that would be awesome. Um, but in all seriousness, maybe Antoine Fuqua. That wouldn't be bad. I know you're a big uh, fan of his. Um, I'm a big supporter of him, even though I, he's made a lot of bad movies. But I yeah. think the reason his movies end up bad is because the studios are racist. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I do have a whole thing about Antoine Fuqua, about the fact that he... Um, Antoine Fuqua is a, is a black director who doesn't necessarily make mm. quote unquote black movies. And I yeah. think there's some, yeah, uh, I think King Arthur for Pete's sake. Yeah. And I think as a result there of some sort of maybe unexamined or subconscious racism on the studio's part, there's maybe more studio interference on his movies mm. because there's this assumption is like, are we sure this guy can yeah, do maybe. this, this non-black movie? Yeah. And uh, you know, I, th- so I, th- I always am on Antoine Fuqua's side. I think of him actually as a very intense filmmaker, like in a good way, like his, there's a lot of, um, not energy, but like there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of intensity to his films. And I feel like the idea of making a black Panther movie, which is, you know, this guy in the midst of a country that is very corrupt and just a lot of warlords and stuff. I feel like the tone could be a lot darker and a lot more gritty and intense. Now he'd have to dial down on like people like headshots, people getting shot in that because he's, Mm, I don't think so. I think he should uh, just keep it going. He does R rated violence, which is something that I, uh, I actually like about his movies. Um, who did shooter? Uh, hit him. That's him. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And yeah. he did um, the bloodier uh, of the two um, White House under siege movies. Olympus oh, okay. has fallen. Okay. Um, um, and then he made the King Arthur, which was released as PG thirteen, but was put the director's cut, which is yeah. bloodier, um, was put out. On I believe TV. I saw the director's cut. And it's it's not, still not that it's, good, it, but it's not awful. Yeah, it's not awful. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, uh, listeners, you know what's I awful would, though. Tears of the Sun. As far as Antoine Fuqua's movies go, I didn't that one it. is dreadful. Um, I'll put it out to listeners, by the way. Feel free to comment uh, on the post on this post uh, on the website because um, I would like to know, like, if there are any filmmakers that you feel like would bring something to a very specific property, and feel free to say that as well, and that you think have enough clout, like a Tarantino, that they would literally be allowed to do whatever they wanted. Um, it's a rare filmmaker, but I think they're out there. Yeah. So, okay. All right. We, we gotta go. All right. So go. you can find us at battleshipretention.com. You can email us at David at battleshipretention.com or Tyler at battleshipretention.com. Um, my, I'm on Twitter at Davey pretension. Tyler's on Twitter at Tyler pretension. Anything going on at more than one lesson we need to know about? Uh, not, not really. We just yeah. kept going with the, uh, the, the best pictures series. And I think, uh, this week we're, talking about ordinary people um well uh my other podcast about tv it's called hey watch this i don't know because we're recording this so early i don't know what we'll be talking about uh this coming week i know on what's now the most recent episode we talked about nurse jackie and uh usa's mr robot which is so good it's been a while since i've been this into the first season of a new show 
Um, so definitely check out Mr. Robot and check out Hey Watch This and check out everything at BattleshipRetention.com. Thanks for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 